Well, good morning again, and good morning to Midlothian. Good to have you joining us out there, and we are continuing today through the Bible. We're just finishing up Genesis today. Next, we're going to be in Exodus through Judges, and my guess is, as we keep getting a little deeper into the Old Testament, we're going to get to some places, some of us, we haven't been before, right? And we're going to start reading, I didn't know that was in there. I didn't, I didn't know it said that. Uh, of course, we're also going to go to some places that we love, right? Places we've been to, places we run to. I was, you know, I was thinking about what are the, the most, most popular passages in the Bible, inside and outside the church. Wouldn't you guess in the Old Testament, what, Psalm 23? I mean, you don't even have to read the Bible. If you've been to a funeral at least once, you've probably heard Psalm 23. Uh, I mean, that, that's a, and probably in the New Testament, what would you say? John 3, 16. That, that was, I mean, thank you, NFL. I mean, that, that's one thing they've done for us. Hold, hold up John 3, 16. You know, then I was thinking about maybe, maybe inside the faith. You know, people who read the Bible, know the Bible, we, we share Scripture with each other, and I was thinking, man, what might be the most well-known, most quoted verse? And I, I don't know; we could actually know what that is. But I, I think I'd put my money on Romans eight twenty-eight. Y'all know? I hear some. Yeah, yeah, that might be it. We know. I love, I love the confidence and the security of those two words. We know that that for those who love God, all things. Boy, that's two powerful words right there. That all things work together for good for those who are called according to his, uh, his purpose. Man, that's a, tr- that's a tremendous promise there, isn't it? All things, literally all. Now stop and think about that. If we believe that, and I'm, I'm guessing a lot of us do. Yeah? If God is in all things, then what's there to ever be disappointed about? I mean... Yes, obviously, there's some things that have happened to me or out in the world or to you that we would say, I would have preferred that not been the case. I would have preferred that that not happened. But I mean, after you get over saying, oh, I wish that didn't happen. I mean, seriously, all things, God's in it, right? Now, as, as real as that is, it rarely feels that way, right? And I, I, I believe Romans eight twenty eight with all my heart. But, but I've, I've walked through disappointment, walked through disappointment in the past, walked through disappointment in the present. How, how do you do that? How do you believe that God's good, God's in control, God's working, not in a lot of things, God's working in every single thing in life? How do you believe that when there's so much disappointment? When there's so much disappointment in our lives, there's disappointment out in the world, how do you see, how do you believe God is in that? Well, we are going to look today at what I think is probably the expert on faith because he has to be the expert on disappointment. And, and that would be my, my friend Joseph. Joseph, you know, I, I'm not sure that Joseph makes uh, our short list of Bible heroes. You know, we, we save that for people like, uh, what, David... Moses, Peter, Paul. I'm not sure for a lot of us, Joseph always gets into that category. But uh, he is, in my opinion, one of the most stunning displays of faith in all of Scripture. He he has uh, an unparalleled faith, I think. 
And that's why so much of his life and story is shared with us. You know, as we've walked through this first section of the Bible, Genesis, I've, I've made the case a couple of times that I, I think Genesis is the most important book of the Bible simply because it's the foundation for the rest of the Bible. Literally every single thing you read in the rest of the Bible comes back to Genesis, answers something in Genesis, deals with something in Genesis. So for that reason, it's the most important book of the Bible. And do you know what one-fourth of... One-fourth. Think of all of the things being dealt with in Genesis. One-fourth of the book of the Bible, uh, of, of the book of Genesis, is about Joseph. Why? Why would God give us so much of his life? Because for every person that walks on this planet, there is a call to faith in the midst of ongoing disappointment. It's true for every one of us. So God displays this life for us. So maybe some of you aren't entirely familiar with Joseph. You remember a story about a guy that got a coat with many colors? That sound familiar? Yeah, that's who we're talking about. That, that's Joseph. He got that, uh, he got that jacket from his dad, and his dad gave it to him. We looked at his dad last week, Jacob, who got renamed Israel. Dad gave Joseph that because, man, he, he loved Joseph. He loved his son. Now, there's a little problem here. He had ten older brothers who weren't feeling it. Yeah, ten older brothers, they're not getting the love. They're not getting a coat of many colors. That is not happening. And, and so in this family dynamic, uh, Joseph is not, not very well liked. His, his brothers hate him. They, they hate dad's favoritism. They hate the coat that he got. And they hate his dreams. Joseph is a ugh, bit of a dreamer. And, and, and he has these dreams. He has two in particular that, that he ends up going and telling his brothers, you know, I've had these dreams and this is what they mean. One day you guys are all going to bow down to me. Now that would be a place I'd say, you know, Joseph, maybe not the smartest thing you could have done there. I mean, y'all, anybody in here got siblings? Let me rephrase that. Anybody in here the baby of the siblings? So just imagine going to your older brothers and sisters. You know, I had this, I had this vision of y'all all worshiping me. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> well, no, they didn't think that was so great. So one day, man, they're, they're out in the fields, long way from home, long way from home. They're out in the fields. And man, you know, you know how grumbling goes. You just get started on a conversation. Oh, Joseph and dad, you know, it's dad's fault. And they're, man, they're just getting going. Well, timing's everything, isn't it? Here they are getting themselves all worked up. And here comes Joseph over the horizon. Well, now they really... They re- I mean, yeah, there it is. There's the problem. And they get going. Well, by the time Joseph gets to them, they've got themselves worked up into a bit of a mob. And, man, they, they beat them up. I mean, they, they beat them up pretty bad. And, and they toss them into a pit. And I don't know what, a, I don't know what that pit looks like. I, it, it appears that it's big enough or deep enough he can't get out on his own. So I, I guess imagine a hole, a well, or something. But, but they throw them down in it. Now, let's just pause right here and let's all pretend we're Joseph. You're laying there in a pit, maybe a cracked rib, certainly a busted lip, right? And, and you're laying in the dirt, maybe mud, I don't know, you're, you're laying down on the bottom of this. Just simple question, you're a little disappointed with how the day turned out? That's uh, not, not what I thought it was going to be, not, not, what I was, not what I was hoping in, but they... Uh, they come and they get him out of the pit. I don't, I don't know how they get him out, but they, they start to lift him out. And, and, and as he comes up out of this 
whole, he, he immediately notices there's a whole lot more here than my ten brothers. There's this, there's, it looks like a caravan of traders or something, and he's got a couple of brothers over there, and it looks like they're exchanging something, and, and pretty soon, two pretty rough-looking guys, to be honest with you, come, come from that, that group, and they come over, and pretty soon, Joseph realizes, hey, they're, they're and they, they grab them. I, I, I kind of wonder, how long did it take Joseph to realize his own family just sold him into slavery? How do you, I, I hope nobody in here knows what this is like. I fear that you do. How do you, how do you even begin to process that kind of betrayal from your own flesh and blood? Well, Joseph, man, he has, he's a fun guy to read about. He has this uncanny ability to land on his feet. And, and so it's Ishmaelite traders, Ishmael. So you, you've got Joseph, his dad is Jacob, and Jacob's dad is Isaac. Isaac had a brother named Ishmael. Both of their, their dad was Abraham. So this is Ishmaelites. Ishmael's family line has turned into, well, at least some of them, they've turned into slave runners. And, and, and they, they, have, they have purchased, they have purchased, I, don't, I wonder if they even know, this is our own family too, but they, they purchase Joseph, they take him to Egypt, and they sell him to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the palace guard. I guess, what, for our, for our context, that'd be like, I guess, the head of the secret service, you know, that guards the president. That, that's a pretty high up guy. And he's the chief executioner. Now, I'm just guessing if I've just been sold to somebody, I probably don't want to be sold to the chief executioner. That just sounds like there's a lot of potential for this to go bad. But you know, Joseph actually, I said he lands on his feet. And he, Joseph has, I guess, what we would call the Midas touch. I mean, just whatever he does, it just works. Whatever he does, it gets better. And, and so, you know, first day on the job with Potiphar, he says, hey, I want you to do this. And Potiphar comes home today, it's the best it's ever been done. Hmm, that's interesting. Hey, I've got this personal business over here. Would you go over there and check? Comes out and says, everything he touches gets better. So pretty soon Potiphar just turns everything in his household all of his little private businesses, personal businesses, just turns it all over to Joseph. And man, everything is working good. I mean, it's a good, it's a good, hey, he's a slave. He's not where he wants to be. And he's not doing what he wants to do, right? But I mean, all in all, all in all, it's working out okay. Until she notices him. Potiphar's wife, we don't even know her name, just Potiphar's wife. And uh, she, she takes a liking to this uh, young man in the house. And uh, makes it pretty clear. If you want to, I want to. And uh, you know, it's real interesting, his response. Hey, you know what? When life's not going well, and you can't tell God's helping you any, you can kind of get an attitude about that, right? Why can't I have fun? Why can't, why can't I be loved? Why can't I enjoy? You know what he says? He says, you know what? That wouldn't honor God or my boss. That, that's interesting. That's his perspective in a moment where really not a whole lot's really working for him. Well, that, that doesn't stop her. She, she kind of keeps after him day after day. You kind of imagine what that looked like. You know, they brush arms and she winks and who knows what's all going on there. But one day she comes home and 
She's got a really cool SUV, really tripped out. And she's unloading groceries, you know, going back and forth from the, the garage to the, to the kitchen. And notices, you see somebody move. Hey, Joseph's in the back office. And she looks around. Hey, ain't nobody's home. So this is, this is it. So she goes back there, kind of munching my mind. I wonder what she's wearing. She goes back there and she basically says, right here, right now. And it, it, the, the, the scripture actually implies that he's somewhat trapped. And you know what he does? He, he runs. Now, if he's trapped, that means the only way to run is like right over her. I don't know quite what that looked like or what that meant, but man, he runs out of that room. Which, by the way, is the single greatest way to handle temptation. You know, matter of fact, I look at the way I wrote that, the single greatest way. I scratch that out. It's the only way. You know, I think sometimes we get caught up thinking, you know, we know the struggles in our life, the temptations in our life. You know what I'm going to do? I think I'm pretty strong now. I've, I've got, I'm going I'm to go see how strong I can be in the, in the face of that temptation. I'm going to go toe-to-toe with that. T- Folks, God's not interested in how strong you can be in the face of temptation. He's interested in how fast you can be in the face of temptation. He's not to see, he doesn't want to see what you can resist. He wants to see how fast you can run. The way to deal with temptation is stay as far away from it as you can get. And so that's, that's what Joseph does. And this time, feeling a little bit put out, she de- decides to kind of put out a different story. And, and she says she's raped. And next thing you know, guess where Joseph is? He's in prison. I mean, things really kind of... It, they happen very quickly in his life. Man, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, man, I'm out in the countryside walking across here. And dad said, go check on your brothers. And hours later, the next morning, I'm, I'm, I've been sold into slavery, likely to never see my family again. I mean, just boom. And, and here he is again. I'm doing, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm honoring God. I'm obeying God. And now, now all of a sudden I'm in, I'm in prison. Yeah, let's just kind of track where we've been here. Let's see. We've been, we've been rejected. We've been misunderstood. We've been abused. We've been betrayed. We've been falsely accused. And now we're imprisoned. It seems to me like now the question is, not am I disappointed with how today has turned out. Now I'm kind of struggling with, I'm a little disappointed with how life is turning out. This isn't a day. This isn't an, a, a, a situation, one, one person. No, I'm kind of getting frustrated with, with all of life right now. And folks, we need to step back and remember where he is with God. You know those dreams about his brothers? Yeah, probably in our lingo, the way we would understand those dreams is God is coming to Joseph and saying, Hey, I love you and I've got a great plan for your life. Joseph says, hey, this is, this is cool. Sign, sign me up for a great plan for my life. And, and really, folks, I don't know any other way to express it, but since he stepped forward and trusted God for that, his life's been pretty much in the toilet since then. So see, it's not just, man, I'm really kind of disappointed with how life is working out here. I don't know how you don't at some point start to ask, God, I'm a little disappointed in you. I'm a little disappointed in this whole love of God and, and His plan for my life. <laughs> he, he lands on His feet again. He, he's there on His feet again. He's in the same thing in the prison. The warden says, hey, every prisoner has a responsibility. You do, you do this. And end of the day, the warden says, man, I've never seen it done that well. And we, you know, we fast forward a little bit and pretty soon... Pretty soon, Joseph's in charge of the prison. The warden gives him the keys. Not a normal thing. 
You know, I doubt this was ever Joseph's goal in life. You know what? I want to grow up one day and be, I want to be in charge of the prison yard. Probably not his goal. But you know what? It's where he is. It, 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 it's, it's what he does. So there's a, there's a couple of guys in there with them. There are two, two guys that used to be on the Pharaoh's cabinet. You know, like, like we have a, the president's cabinet or special counsel. It's two guys kind of in that relationship. Well, Pharaoh got kind of put out with them and, and throws them into prison. And so uh, they're there and, I, you know, they know each other. They've got some kind of relationship. And one day Joseph notices, man, they're a little bit upset. They're a little bit bothered. And, and man, we've had these dreams. You know what Joseph says to him? Interpreting dreams is God's business. You know, he, he just acknowledged God's in control. God has all knowledge. Now, wouldn't you want to stop and say, now, where, Joseph, in your life can you see that God's in control, that God's good, that God has all knowledge? I just find it interesting that that's what he's giving witness to. That's what he's giving testimony to when you might think he'd look around at life and say, I can't tell where God is. I can't tell he loves me. I can't tell he's doing anything. But Interpreting dreams is God's business. Well, they, they tell him his dreams and he tells them, hey, this is what it means. This is what's going to happen. And guess what? Happens just like that. And for one of the guys, it means he's going out of prison. He's going to be restored to his position with the Pharaoh. And, and do you know what Joseph says to him on the way out? It's one of my favorite lines in the story. Because while I am so inspired by Joseph, Joseph I actually referred to this a couple of weeks ago. Joseph's one of those characters. I just I think you and I reread about his life and that's awesome. I can't do that. I can't believe like that. I can't trust like that. I mean, you read Joseph, this is not even a real person until I see this line. His friends getting out of jail. You know what he says? Would you get me out of here? Remember me. Remember me. Get me out of here. I'm innocent. I don't belong in here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you once for acting like a normal person. You know, there's a really pretty significant lesson in that. Faith doesn't always mean you're having fun. Faith does not require that you're smiling and that you're acting like everything in life is wonderful. Believing that God is in control of everything doesn't mean you're excited with where you are every moment of the day. Well, the the guy gets out of jail and guess what he does? forgets what how, how does <laughs> how do you do how do you how do you forget you know I, I actually think that needs to be added to our list don't you I, we've all been forgotten right I don't know a parent who hadn't forgotten their kids somewhere we forgot all four of ours at one time or another at church you know that feeling and you get home son, you get home and you say, I thought you had I thought you, ah! and you know back up to church and then act like we meant to you know yeah, you're going to, you, yeah, we, hey, we've all been forgotten. But that's not the forgotten I'm talking about. You know, the forgotten where you realize you don't really even come to that person's thought. You're not really of that kind of value or worth to them. And, and so, so, you know, let's, I mean, I know I'm repeating this, but let's just keep, you know, we're, what are we? We're, we're, we're rejected, we're misunderstood, we're abused, we're betrayed, we're uh, falsely accused, we're in prison, and, and now we're forgotten. And remember where he is. He's in jail. I'm, I'm guessing you got a lot of time to really think on this. you got a lot of time to think about how disappointing life, how disappointing God is being as you sit there. I, how long, I wonder how long it took him to think he was forgotten. 
I mean, I'm sure he wasn't necessarily looking the next morning. A week later? A month later? I mean, at some point he realized, I, I, don't, I don't think he told anybody. Well, you know, folks, as I tell this story, it kind of goes quickly. As a matter of fact, it reads even quicker than I'm telling it. I mean, it's chapter 39, chapter 40. We're just, we're just moving through this story. Um, and I think it's important to understand how long this story takes or you don't realize just how long he's holding on. Joseph was 17 years old when God came to him and said, I love you and I've got a great plan for your life. When he gets out of prison, whoops, I just told the end of the story. <laughs> When he gets out of prison, he's 30. This is 13 years of one disappointment after another. This is 13 years of things not working out. That's how long, isn't it? Is it just me? Does that seem like a long time to believe that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? And yet, best I can tell, that's exactly what he's doing. He's holding on. Well, one day, and I've already told you where this is going. <laughs> one day, he remembers. You know, folks, timing's everything, isn't it? You know, I kind of wonder if the guy had remembered the day he got out of prison. Now, remember what Joseph is. I mean, there, there's, there's racism, there's prejudice. He's a Hebrew in the land of the Egyptians. No Egyptian cares about a Hebrew. They don't, they don't care. So if this guy gets out and remembers and he goes to the Pharaoh and he says, there's a Hebrew slave, okay, right there, I don't care, in prison, really don't care. I mean, do you realize the odds that the Pharaoh just doesn't care? I don't care if there's a Hebrew slave in prison. I don't care if he's innocent. Or maybe, maybe he trusts this guy and says, oh, okay, get, get, get him out. But then what? He's a Hebrew slave on the streets of, of Egypt. Where does that go? But you fast forward now two years later. That's how long he was in prison forgotten. Two years later and, and the Pharaoh has a dream. Keeps coming back to dreams in this story. And the dreams kind of upset him. And that's when the guy goes, oh, oh, uh, I know someone. And he tells them about Joseph. And they, they, go and get, they go and get Joseph. And again, I just love the little details. It reminds us that we're reading something that is true. If you made it up, if this was just kind of like some kind of propaganda piece, you wouldn't add these details. But they go and get Joseph. You know what it says? They cleaned him up. Yeah, I guess if you've been in prison for several years and you're going to see Pharaoh, you need to be cleaned up. And, and he goes in and, and Pharaoh says, man, God, or, or Joseph says, Pharaoh, God, God's being good to you. God is telling you what is getting ready to happen over the next 14 years. And in light of what God is telling you, here's what I would do. And it took Pharaoh about three seconds to go, this dude's smart. And he ends up making Joseph, best I can tell by their governmental lineup, probably something like in England. You got the queen, but, you know, she's over everything. She's got all the wealth and the castles and everything. But she's not actually running anything. The prime minister does that, right? That's what Joseph just became. Joseph just became the prime minister of what is arguably at that point in history the most powerful nation in the world. God was working through the circumstances and the events the entire time to bring him to a place that was impossible to bring him to. Now, when I say God's working through the events, we need to understand what it means when we say God's working. God did not send ten brothers to beat him up. 
God did not inspire them to sell him into slavery. God, God, did not, God did not whisper, God did not entice Pharaoh's wife to go, to go and seduce Joseph. God didn't do any of those things. You say, how do you know? Because God doesn't inspire sin. God doesn't tempt people to sin. The scripture says that over and over. God may, I will say this, God may have led the prisoner to forget. Because timing's everything. God, God may have actually had the person just get out of prison and running along with the day and I'm out and everything I got to do. And I, God may have led him to forget. But God is working in every single bit of that to bring about his plan. And you know what happens next? The brothers show up. I mean, talk about a dream come true. Talk about revenge as a plate best served cold. Man, they, they, they show up. There's a, there's a famine, not just in Egypt. There's a famine in that entire region of the world. Now, at the point they show up, Joseph has been prime minister for about eight or nine years. He, he may be the most respected man in the world. And here they come, and they show up before him. And, and you know what? They don't even recognize him. I mean, how do you not recognize your own brother? Well, it's, it's been over 20 years I, I don't know, I think I'd recognize, they recognized him. I mean, I mean, he recognized them. He knew immediately who they were. I'm going to tell you why I think they didn't recognize him. Truth of the matter is, I think, a, if not all of them, I think a couple of them, look at that, that dude looks just like our brother. But there is no actual way. We sold over 20 years ago our brother into slavery. He is a slave if he's even alive. There's no scenario known to humanity where our brother is now that person. So their mind is just clouded from being able to, to see that at all. Think of what he can He can do whatever he wants. He can, he can torture him, imprison him, kill him. He can do all three. He could sell him into slavery. Hey, try this on for a little while. I mean, he's got ten guys that trashed. 13 years of his life. And you know what he does? He forgives them. Now I'm back to believing this person isn't real. He doesn't even, he doesn't even give him a lecture. He doesn't try to teach him a lesson. He doesn't, he doesn't make him grovel. His forgiveness is so amazing that the brothers don't trust it. A little bit like us with God sometimes, right? I mean, I know God forgives. I know that's what the Bible teaches. And, but... A lot of us probably have a sin or two. It's a little difficult for us to believe God actually loves us and forgives us. And, and we're, we're ashamed of that. And we don't rest in his forgiveness because I can't imagine he for, that's the kind of forgiveness he's, he's offering them here. You know, when I look at what Joseph is doing there, I look at his forgiveness. I look at how he's handled all this disappointment. And, and it's just hard not to read that and say, how? How are you a real person? How, how do you do that? I want to make three observations about Joseph's life. All three observations are going to sound like a cliche. I'm going to make a little point. It's going to, these three points could probably, they could probably be made about, oh, I don't know, 213 different stories in the Bible. I mean, these are just so, so cliche so, so basic. I hope you can get past that to see that if you and I actually take this on, you're preparing yourself to live powerfully and greatly for God in this world, no matter what. So let, let's look at these observations. Turn to Genesis 39. You're probably wondering, if he's ever going to open the Bible? Of course. Genesis 39. 
I'm reading out of the English Standard today. I say that because I've been bouncing around a little bit. So if you have a Bible app and you can change the translation you're reading from, it's the ESV. Genesis 39, uh, verse 2 and 3. So the first thing I observe as I read this story is wherever Joseph is, whatever's going on, he serves faithfully. He serves faithfully. God, you want me to serve you as a prisoner? I'll serve you as a prisoner. God, you want me to serve you as a slave? I'll serve you as a slave. You say, Randy, how do you know that's his attitude? How do you know that's what he's thinking? I love it when you ask questions I want to answer. Look at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master, who is not a believer in Yahweh... His master who does not worship the one true God. He worships the Nile. He worships the sun. He worships animals. His master saw that the Lord was with him. Now just imagine, if you ever had anybody in your life, at home, at work, you look at them and you think, man, God's with that person. What were you observing? What, What did you hear them say? What did you watch them do? Why did you look at them and say, God is with that person? Look at verse 23. Same chapter, verse 23. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because, what? The Lord was with him. Folks, everywhere everywhere he goes, people see. We're talking about him being in slavery. We're talking about him being in prison. And people see, man, God is with this person. His circumstances don't change How he's going to honor the Lord, serve the Lord, speak of the Lord, serve in a way that represents his God. So so what what does that mean to you and me, folks? Lord, you want me to serve you rich? I'll serve you rich. You want me to serve you poor? I'll serve you poor. You want me to serve you in a great job? I'll serve you in a great job. You want me to serve you in a miserable job? I'll serve you in a miserable job. Now, if you're asking me, I have a preference, Lord. Could I choose one of those myself? <laughs> Don't you? Okay, I get that. But God, why did you choose me to serve you in a miserable job? Could I get the good job? You know why he wants you to serve him in a miserable job? Because millions of people live every day in a miserable job. And they have no idea what it looks like to have hope. To still have meaning. To still have purpose. To still have strength. God's sending you in there. And this is easy, right? We show them what it looks like. God needs people that are going to show others what it looks like to serve the Lord, to love the Lord, to walk with the Lord through bad health. Who's going to show them? That's a, you know, isn't it? Isn't it? But I'd like to do it rich and I'd like to do it healthy. Folks, don't assume that assignment is the easier one. You know, generally speaking, the better we're doing, the less we're thinking about the Lord. When I think about how little I have, I think a lot about what kind of good steward I need to be. When I got everything I need, not so much thinking about it then. Every one of us will stand before God and we will answer for our stewardship, our management of the place He put us And you know, as I look at Joseph, it appears to me that nowhere is he evaluating a good day or a bad day as being determinant of whether he serves the Lord. I serve the Lord wherever I am. He faithfully serves the Lord wherever he is. Number two, he obeys the Lord fully. Still in chapter 39, look at verse 8. 
Let me, matter of fact, let me start in verse 7. And, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Uh, that's pretty clear what she wants. Verse 8, but he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not even greater in me than in this house, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Folks, I've heard a lot of people kind of in the station where he is in life say, What difference does it make? God's not doing anything for me. God's not, God's not helping me. Why does he care if he honors an authority? Why does he care what God... Hey, I've been caring about God for a long time. It hasn't done anything but make my life spiral downwards. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's interesting, folks, that he, 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 it, it seems that there's nothing in his life that cannot make him see the value of obeying God. God seems worthy. Do you see that? God seems worthy of being obeyed no matter what's going on in our lives. Obedience isn't a bargaining chip. Hey, I've obeyed, so you... It it seems like I'm going to obey regardless of what you do. I'm going to obey regardless of what I think you're doing or not doing. Obedience is something God is worthy of no matter what. God's God regardless of the kind of day I'm having. God's God regardless of the kind of life that I'm having. Man, I respect Joseph for this. It seems kind of hard though, doesn't it? Wherever Joseph is, he seems to worship freely. Look at chapter 40, verse 8. Chapter 40, verse 8. It says, they said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to him, do not interpretations belong to God? You know, I've already referred to that. It, it I mean, here he is. I mean, he could certainly question where God is in his life. And yet, not only is he acknowledging, hey, God has all knowledge. God has all control. He's not only expressing his own faith in that. He's actually communicating that to others. Look at chapter 41, verse 16. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. No, I'm not the one with all the knowledge. I'm not the one who's smart. I'm not the one who's making these happen. No, that's God. He's still, folks, that's worship. You're right. don't, don't reduce worship to singing you do in a building for 20 minutes a week. Oh, that's a huge part of worship. But that's not worship by itself. It's how we acknowledge God, how we honor God, how we proclaim and profess God before others every day. He is freely and constantly doing that in every situation where we might look at his life and say, why are you acknowledging God? What's God done for you? Look at chapter 45, verse 5. This is when his brothers show up. Look at verse 5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. He's trying to comfort them. Of course, I guess if... I guess if I was a brother and I had done to Joseph what I had done and I now see him in all this power, I guess I'm pretty nervous right now too, aren't you? And he says, guys, don't be upset. Don't, don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me here to preserve your life. God sent me here to preserve your life. You know, it's interesting. He, he seems to acknowledge God as the sole authority of everything going on in life, and he seems to be okay with it, right? Where, where, do, where do things come from in life? Where do bad days come from? I, I, I think there's, if you, I think you could break it down into three areas. 
You can, you can get the common cold because you live in a broken body in a broken world. Right? You can get the common cold. That's all that is going on. In this world, you can get a cold. You can get the common cold because Satan is trying to oppress you. Weak you, give you a bad day, bring you down, give you just one more thing that, that you're dealing with. And you can get the common cold. You ready for this? Buckle up, hurt some feelings. You can get a cold because God gave you a cold. He wanted you to have the cold. Maybe he's disciplining you. It may, may, maybe he's just testing your faith. Maybe he's trying to grow you in your dependence upon him when you feel weak, when you feel down. But, but what I see here in, in, in Joseph is not, okay, wait a minute, why is this happening? It seems like he just kind of lets all of life filter. What did we start with today? Romans eight twenty eight. all things. Hey, at the end of the day, I'm not sure I'm always clear on why or where it's coming from, but the bottom line is only one is in control. The world is not in control of my life. Satan is not in control of my life. God is in control of my life. And there is nothing. Folks, it looks to me like Joseph's view of God is so high that it's never subservient to anything going on in his life. God does not become unworthy of my service, of my obedience, of my worship because of something going on in my life. One last verse, got to wrap up. Genesis 50, verse 20. If you have your own Bible, you might want to write out next to verse 20, Romans 8, 28. They're twin sisters. This is the Old Testament version of, of Romans 8, 28. Genesis 50, verse 20. His brothers have come back to him. They against, they still don't believe they've actually been forgiven. And he's, he's trying to convince them of that. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil. Against me. But God meant it for good. You know, kind of like that, I'm getting out of prison, get me out of here. I, 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 I'm, I'm grateful he actually said, hey, what you guys did was, was evil. You know, because you could read this story and say, well, yeah, Joseph's able to forgive because everything worked out. E- everything turned out. I mean, matter of fact, look how well it turned out. Folks, the point of this story is not, if you do all these things, you'll be the prime minister of the world one day. That, that's not the point of the story. There may be some things you don't see work out till you're in heaven standing next to Jesus. The point is not, you can forgive when everything works out. He says, hey, you guys, what you did that day... That was evil. But God's in control. Do you you realize what just... I mean, you want to talk... You ever looking for the secret to life? That's it right there. There's a lot that could be going on this way. A lot of anger. A lot of disappointment. And boy, those are emotions we enslave our lives to. You get the right disappointment, enough disappointment, and pretty soon... You look through glasses through at every person, at every situation, even the good stuff in your life, and you start looking at it through the lens of your anger and your bitterness and your disappointment, and it eats you alive. And it can happen to any of us because we live in an incredibly broken world. It's very natural. It's very easy. You don't have to choose it to look at all of life this way. Joseph said, this is evil. I only look that way. 
I'm looking at life. I'm, in, I'm interpreting that person. I'm interpreting this situation. I'm interpreting the last 13 years of my life. God is good. God is in control. He is worthy of my service. He's worthy of my obedience. He's worthy of my worship. And that will not change. God is God regardless of what day, one day holds for me. And he's got joy and he's got gratitude and he's got power. Because no circumstance, no circumstance, no person is shaping his life. But the good God that loves him so much. What's your view? Horizontal or vertical? Let's pray. Jesus, please help us have the right view. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.